Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Yale Global Online is the flagship publication of the Yale Center for the Study of Globalization and explores the implications of the world's growing interconnectedness through people, products, and ideas. The Feudal Goal of Winning Wars The Yale Global article is written by Louis-René Bears and read by Susan Frachel. During the U.S. presidential campaign, Donald Trump accused previous administrations of grievous error. He claimed to have a far better understanding of how to defeat the Islamic State than the nation's generals. As president, he has pronounced the core mission for America's military to win in war, any war. Dangerously simplistic pronouncements need not come from a U.S. president. After all, he has unhindered access to astute counsel from military and national security experts. The traditional criteria of winning and losing in war have become outdated and counterproductive. More precisely, it doesn't matter whether the United States might win or lose in military operations. The basic vulnerability of U.S. cities to mass destruction terrorism or ballistic missile attacks is high. Seeking victory, per se, makes no operational sense. Looking ahead, the overriding point of U.S. military operations must be to blunt or prevent infliction of substantial harm upon the population, not to flaunt any viscerally satisfying exclamations of machismo. Trump proposed bumping up the U.S. military budget by $54 billion. To begin, however, he should promptly recognize that any increase in military spending oriented primarily toward winning would be sorely misguided. Such recognition is especially urgent in any unplanned expenditures for nuclear weapons because the sole legitimate purpose of such ordinance must be deterrence, not actual fighting wars. He should understand that nuclear weapons must be reserved for deterrence, not revenge. To meet the specific requirements of adequate deterrence, nuclear weapons must be conspicuously secure from first strike attacks and also penetration capable with regard to enemy missile defenses. Today, the capacity to deter does not necessarily display a capacity to win. Nuclear weapons need not be numerically or destructively superior. In fact, any deliberate search for superiority as an objective would be fiscally excessive and plausibly self-destructive. Times have changed with regard to the core security implications of any still conceivable military victory. We can learn from historian Herodotus, who describes the Greeks' stunning defeat at Thermopylae in 480 BCE. Back then, the Persian king could not contemplate the conquest of Athens until first securing a decisive victory. He could force the Athenians to abandon Attica only after the defeat of the Spartan king. The Greeks chose Thermopylae 
for their final defense because of a narrow pass between the cliffs and the sea. It was a geographically reassuring place where relatively small numbers of resolute troops could presumably hold back a larger army. The Spartan king defended the pass for a time with about 7,000 men, but the Persians eventually emerged as victors. The Greeks could only passably witness the burning of their homes and temples. There is no need to worry about suffering a contemporary Thermopylae. Still, the ancient Greek tragedy remains meaningful for the United States in other countries in the crosshairs of a determined jihad. Modern targets do not enjoy absolute freedom from worry. After all, preventing any form of classical military defeat no longer assures safety from mega-aggression or terrorism. Significantly, until the onset of the nuclear era, states and empires were essentially safe from homeland destruction unless their armies had first been defeated. Before 1945, the capacity to destroy had required an antecedent capacity to win, but by August of 1945, the United States could inflict nuclear destruction upon civilians in Hiroshima and Nagasaki without first having to defeat the Japanese armed forces. Producing a final defeat was the rationale of the two atomic strikes. Then it was a stark contrast of what had been sought at Thermopylae. The principal American goal had been to kill large numbers and prod Japan's surrender. So the classical objective of defeating an enemy army and preventing military defeat is now a secondary goal. There is no cumulative benefit to waging a winning war if a determined enemy still maintains capacity to bring massive civilian harm. A daunting enemy today can be another state, a terror group, or any form of hybrid coalition. The strategic implications here are complex and far-reaching. The task for the national security team is to consider and answer key questions continuously, unhesitatingly, through orchestrated oppositions of thesis and antithesis. This calls to mind the prophetic counsel of Karl von Clausewitz in his book, on war. He wrote, the subordination of the political point of view to the military must always be unreasonable, for politics had created the war. Policy is the intelligent faculty. War is only the instrument. For Donald Trump, no particular military wisdom could be so plainly vital. Today, many disparate enemies could inflict severe harm without first weakening armies or navies. For the most focused enemies, U.S. generals have little reason to work out extensive calculations or force correlations or order of battle. This is not due to error on the part of the United States or other major powers. The new vulnerabilities generally represent a byproduct of evolving technologies. The U.S. defense community must pursue all available technological breakthroughs, from attack drones to enhanced surveillance, 
to ensure protection from both irregular army attacks in theater and terrorist actions at home. Above all, this means staying focused on specific operational threats and opportunities and not on any abstract notions of winning. Such efforts carry no ironclad guarantees of success. Rapid technological evolution in warfare cannot be reversed. On the contrary, all vulnerabilities must be acknowledged and then suitably countered. To do so, the United States must refine combat orthodoxies and strive for more productive international alignments. This includes examining arrangements for both active and passive defenses as well as cyber defense. Going alone is no longer an option. Nothing is more practical than a coherent strategic doctrine, nuanced and well thought out. Americans must understand that even the most advanced civilization can be made to suffer without enduring national defeat. This is a difficult lesson to accept. The alternative could cause the United States to misallocate limited military resources towards sorely misconceived objectives. The pertinent threats to the United States are shared by others. In essence, all states must prepare to confront consequential vulnerabilities in the absence of suffering any prior military defeats. To win is an illusory goal. In the final analysis, the United States should prepare to exploit common vulnerabilities systematically by shaping realistic, precise, and operationally specific strategies for offense and defense. Nowadays, formal peace treaties and agreements are the exception and not the rule. Neither the United States nor its enemies can know for certain whether a particular conflict has been won or lost. Trump cannot hope to authenticate any presumed win over terrorism with the formality of signed agreements or parades along Fifth Avenue. It follows that military and defense planning should increasingly be based upon specifically identifiable security hazards and not abstract notions of victory and defeat. Louis-René Bowers has his doctorate from Princeton University in 1971. He is Emeritus Professor of International Law at Purdue University. He lectures and publishes widely on nuclear strategy and nuclear war. He is the author of many major books and articles. This and other Yale Global articles can be found at yaleglobal.yale.edu.